tremendous, tremendous. And uh, the Habing family, though, by the way, those little girls, boy, they can play the fiddle. I'm telling you what, it's tremendous. That was tremendous. I, I, don't you love it when you see people that have musical talent? See, there's a family right there that I tell you this, musical talent is something genetic. Okay, it's, it runs in families, okay? It, it ran away from my family, but it runs, <laughs> it runs in families. Take your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you would. How many of you remember music? Talk about musical talent. How many of you, you don't remember this, you don't remember it. You'd have to be very old to remember this. How many of you remember the White Sisters? The gospel group, the White Sisters? Oh, thank you, thank you for the, they had the most amazing harmony. Utterly amazing. They, they were tremendous singers. And, uh, and I used to, at WCTS FM radio, my job in high school was to work on Christian radio, and we used to play the White Sisters all the time. They had beautiful harmony. So I know everything about Christian music from about 1940 uh, until 1940s and 50s, all the way up until the 1970s, and then after that it all went to hell in a handbasket. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3 in your Bible with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are talking about this morning the battle our theme for the year is in the battle and this morning I wanted to present a message I'm entitling the battle for the Bible now for some of you this is going to seem a rather basic issue however I feel like it's very important that we remind ourselves what we as a church believe about the Bible I think it's really important for folks that are visiting with us or come from different backgrounds to understand that the position that is held by this church is very specific regarding our belief in the Bible, regarding our belief in the authority of Scripture. Now, many of you probably noticed that, and maybe you didn't notice, that this is an autonomous church. That means that there's no governing, uh, governing authority of a denomination over the church. The church is self-governing, okay? That's what the word autonomous means. It means self-governing. But we have a core set of beliefs that we hold to in our doctrinal statement, and one of them is a, a very, very detailed scriptural position in regard to what we believe about the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, that is absolutely core to our faith. And so your attention, please, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. I want every eye on verse 16. In a moment, we're going to dissect this verse quickly. 2 Timothy 3, 16. The Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Some decades ago, not too long ago to where I could not remember at least the tail end of this, when you got Christian people together, different, different groups of people together, maybe you might say different denominations, you, you got them together and the big question, the big issue, the big argument was this, what does the Bible say? That was the question. So, for example, the Baptist would say, and then this is true, by the way, the Baptist would say that the Bible teaches uh, immersion of a believer in water. Uh, the Bible always teaches that. There's no example of, of children being sprinkled anywhere in the New Testament. So the Bible teaches immersion of a believer. The word baptizo means to dunk or to plunge. It is a Greek word that means dunk or plunge. So Baptist people would argue strenuously that point. Well, then you had other groups that didn't believe in that, so they would argue their point. Now, they didn't have good arguments. 
They just didn't. You say, Pastor Money, why are you saying it? Because I'm a Baptist. They, <laughs> just joking with you. They didn't have good arguments, but they would argue. But you know what the neat thing about that was? The discussion, here's what the neat thing about that was. They were arguing from the standpoint of biblical authority. In other words, the argument was this. We all believe the Bible, now let's argue over what it says. But if we can determine what it says, we believe the Bible because the Bible is inherently authoritative. That was the old argument. That actually graduated, I think, in my lifetime to the argument, not what does the Bible say, but rather, what is the Bible? Now, this argument began to question the authority of Scripture. And so in my lifetime, within the evangelical world, we saw people who at one point would hold tenaciously to the absolute authority of Scripture begin to abandon that and argue, well, we're not really exactly sure what the Bible actually is. Is this a collection of, of the thoughts of, of uh, ancient peoples that were kind of put together and talked and whispered around about a campfire and then some editors called them and cobbled them together? Is that what the Bible is? Is the Bible just an ancient philosophy book? Is the Bible, and this is probably the craziest theory of all, is the Bible a book that was written secretly in a smoke-filled boardroom by a bunch of old white men to have dominion over everyone else? If you believe that, by the way, you are dumber than a box of rocks. The question is, historically, well, what is the Bible? Now, now listen, this question, shockingly, became an issue among professing Christian churches. It's a real problem. So whereas before we were concerned with what does the Bible say because the Bible is an authority, now we're concerned with asking the question, many places, not here, but asking the question, what is the Bible? And that very question undermined its authority in major denominations in the United States. And all of a sudden, well, you know, we know that the Bible says X, Y, and Z, but Pastor Marty, you need to understand that was just the Apostle Paul's ignorance concerning cultural matters. Ignorance? Did Paul get it wrong? Were the words of the Bible only applicable to the first century? Do you see how subtle this change is that questions what is the Bible? And in its subtlety, it takes away the authority of Scripture. But now, I think we've moved on to something even more grave. So, Pastor Mahdi, what could be more grave than questioning the authority of the Bible? I think we've now arrived in post-Christian America, and I might say in post-Christian Christianity. I think we've now arrived to this question. What does it even matter? See, I hate to inform the older generation of something very grievous that I've noticed. But among young people today, it doesn't really matter what the Bible says. For many of them, and I'm not talking about our young people, because see these young people over here, I want everyone to look at them. Just look at them. Aren't they beautiful young people? Peyton, why are you looking so nervous? 
Because you're not used to being called beautiful. Okay, well, you're not. You're ugly. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> These are wonderful young people. They believe the Bible, but I'm talking about the culture. I'm talking about where we are today. So for a lot of young people, the, the fact, if you were to walk up to them and say to a young person, not these, but to a young person, you know what, the Bible says this, 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 and this, their response might be a very sincere, so what? That would be their response. Now, how many of you remember when there was a time in American culture when if you mentioned something about the Bible, even to someone who didn't go to church, they would listen and at least acknowledge it as something that might be true. Do you remember that time? Yeah, yeah, a lot of you remember that time. That time is almost gone. Because now people look at you if you say, well, the Bible says this, so what? Why do you even care? You see, what has happened today is the questioning of the Bible's authority has graduated to its questioning as to whether it's relevant at all. And... I think this, fueled by satanic conspiracy, biblical illiteracy, not knowing what the Bible says, not even having a clue about the basics, is on the rise in America as never before. A nation that at one time was described as a Christian nation now is essentially illiterate about even the basics of the Bible. And by the way, you need only go so far as to watch Jeopardy. Now, I don't recommend Jeopardy. The old host was a lot better than the new one. The new host, actually, there was a question recently on Jeopardy that if you're a fan of Jeopardy, this should irritate the fire out of you. There was a question that names put some words up on the screen, words we would not be familiar with, and the question was basically, what are these words? And someone answered, those are pronouns. No, they're not. It was a question to promote wokeism. And by the way, a lot of Jeopardy people were really upset with this, okay? A lot of Jeopardy people, you're nodding. Some of you were upset. Did you, I hope you wrote letters to Jeopardy. <laughs> Actually, probably a waste of your time. But, but you know what's even sadder on Jeopardy? When they have a category about the Bible. How many have seen that in recent days? Oh, look at all the hands. We got some Jeopardy people here. And they have a category about the Bible and I can go through every single level, boom, 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 and answer every question. Well, pastor, yeah, you're the pastor, you should. But you know what? Almost every person in this room can answer them. They're really easy questions. Noah, Noah built the arky, arky Noah. <laughs> Stuff you know from Bible school. And these intelligent, they have to pass a test, these people. These intelligent people on Jeopardy are stumped every time. That should give us the idea, folks, that little anecdotal thought should give us the idea that we're in trouble as a nation. The, the level of biblical illiteracy is alarming, but more than that, the level of biblical irrelevance, the attitude about the Bible that it does not matter today, that is even more alarming. Let me affirm something for you this morning and be crystal clear. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is both authoritative and relevant to us today. I'm going to say that again. The Bible, I'll hold it up for you so you can get a visual. The Bible is God's word. And the Bible is authoritative and relevant to us today. 
And I'm going to show three things out of this one verse to help you with this thought. Number one, number one, the Bible, talking about bibliology, the study of the Bible. The Bible, what what do we do with this, Pastor Monty? Number one, we affirm the Bible's authenticity. If you're taking notes, that's point one. Affirm the Bible's authenticity. Look what it says in verse 16, 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Pastor Monty, what is scripture? Scripture is the sacred writings. Well, Pastor Monty, now I was at the grocery store the other day, and I saw a little pamphlet at the checkout line that said such and such is a lost book of the Bible. Look at me. There are no lost books to the Bible. Every book in our Bible belongs there and was placed there by a process known as canonicity. I'm not going to get into all of that because it's greatly detailed, but suffice it to say that the people of God in both the Old and the New Testaments recognized the canonicity of certain books and rejected other books as non-canonical, not part of the inspired scripture. We have, when we hold our Bible in our hands, 66 books that are inspired scripture. They are the sacred writings They are the revelation of God to his people. And the process by which this happened, according to verse number 16, is given by inspiration. What do you mean? The Bible is breathed out by God. The word inspiration is a combination of Greek words that means literally the breath of God or to be breathed out by God. When I read my Bible, I am not reading merely the words of Paul or the words of Isaiah or the words of Jeremiah. When I read my Bible, I am reading the words of God. They are breathed out by God through the process of inspiration. Take your Bible, turn to 2 Peter with me, please, quickly. A few pages over. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 19. Peter talks about an experience, the experience of the transfiguration in verses 17 and 18. And then in verse 19, Peter says this, 2 Peter 1, 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, okay? But, verse number 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, the scripture, the word of God. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That is inspiration. Mr. Pastor Monty, what happened? In inspiration, when the Apostle Paul sat down to pen, for example, the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he penned that letter in such a way that his mind, will, and emotions were fully engaged in the penning of that letter on a human level, but also in such a way that every word that Paul wrote was breathed out by God onto that page. That Greek and those Hebrew manuscripts were the very words of God. By the way, by the way, by the way, that's why that book is precious. 
And when people meddle with the Bible and change it up and delete certain sections or take words and twist them or take them out altogether. I was preaching a while back and um, preached on a text in church and someone came to me after the service and said, Pastor Monty, that, that whole verse isn't in my Bible. I said, let me see your Bible. Okay, you need to get one that hasn't been meddled with. Okay, now I'm not going to get into this long because I could lecture you about this for hours and hours and hours, but the most accurate translation is your King James Bible. You're not going to go wrong to own a King James Bible. You're not going to go wrong. It's an excellent translation of Scripture. What happened? Paul was penning the words, but guess who was breathing them out? It was the Holy Spirit of God. Well, you say, Pastor Monty, was Paul just acting in mechanical dictation? No, nothing mechanical about it, but it was dictation. The words passed through his mind, will, emotion, but every word was breathed out by God. That's really important. Do you know what that's called theologically? That's called taking a very high view of Scripture. We take a very high view of Scripture at Faith Baptist Church. It's given by inspiration. The words are God's words. Uh, not only that, but we describe inspiration in the Bible as being verbally inspired. Pastor Monty, what's verbal? The words, the words. That's why it's so important that we always use a translation that is a word-for-word -word translation. You know, a lot of the modern stuff out there is thought-for-thought. But when someone else says, okay, I read that sentence, here's what it means to me, so I'm going to translate what it means to me, you've got an awful lot of that translator's thinking in it. I don't want the human opinion. I want to know what the words say. By the way, have you ever noticed something weird if you have a King James? Have you ever noticed this? If you look at it, do you ever notice there are italics everywhere? Do you notice the italics? Anyone ever notice that? Okay, yeah, you should if you're not brain dead. You notice they're, they're just, they're everywhere. Pastor Monty, what are the italics for? Is it for emphasis? No, no. The translators added those words to make it make sense in the English language. And only the King James Bible is honest enough to put those words in italics so that you understand that there are not Greek and Hebrew words that underline those words. I love that. Why? Because we believe in verbal inspiration. It is verbally inspired. It's breathed out by God. It is the words that are breathed out by God. We believe in something called plenary inspiration. What is that? Well, it's really found in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So not just parts of it, not just, well, you know, Pastor Monty, we, we hold to this book, but we don't hold to that book. No, no. All scripture John Calvin, who's famous you know, among the, among the Calvinist Reformed theologians, John Calvin made this remark about the book of Revelation. He said, you shouldn't read the book of Revelation because it will drive you mad. It will make you crazy. No, no, wait a minute. The Bible says if you read and study the book of Revelation, you get a blessing. So you get an automatic blessing. But, but number two, you don't eliminate part of the word of God. Martin Luther, you know what he didn't like? He didn't like the book of James. Yeah, the whole book of James. He was a reformer. And Martin Luther thought, ah, I don't like the book of James. And he called it a right strawy, meaning like made of straw, a right strawy epistle. I would never call the word of God that. I may not understand everything that's between its covers, but we believe in plenary inspiration that it is all inspired. We believe that it is inerrant, meaning there are no errors contained in Scripture. We believe that it is infallible. What does infallible mean? That it is correct in everything that it affirms. The Bible is incapable of error. 
In other words, the words of the Bible comprise the voice of God to all mankind. And by the way, we believe that God has preserved his word for us today. Pastor Mining, are you worried about finding the words of God? No, no, no. I'm just worried about obeying them. We already have them. The Lord has given them to his church. Now, what I've given to you is a very high view of Scripture. But if you really believe that, if you really believe that, then look back at verse 16, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy again, chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now note the next words. And is profitable. What does that mean? It is beneficial. My entire Bible is of benefit to me. In other words, not only must I affirm the Bible's authenticity, but I must adopt a submissive attitude to the Bible. Now here's where the rub comes in in our modern culture. In days gone by, people would have said, well, you know, uh, Pastor Bonnie, um, we're not sure what we believe about what the Bible says, but yeah, we believe it's God's word. They'd argue about what it said. And then at some point or another, they'd say, well, you know, Pastor, we don't even know what the Bible really is. Plethora of modern versions being an example. Then, now, Pastor Bonnie, it doesn't even matter. For the Christian, it matters because if it is God's word, and it is, we need to adopt a submissive attitude to it, recognizing that the Bible is profitable, that God gave me his word for the promotion of human thriving, not to enslave, and not to lock me down, and not to suppress me. Well, Pastor Monty, you know, you Bible-thumping Christians, you're just doing that to suppress other people groups. When you say things like that, you're echoing the language of Satan in the Garden of Eden, who said to Eve, Eve, God doth know that in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God doth know that then you'll be as God's. Eve, God's holding out on you. So, so much of the world says that if you follow the precepts of the Bible, somehow you're going to miss out. And that God's holding out on you. But the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Because of the Bible's authenticity, I must submit to the Bible's teaching. This is hard for some people right now because it means that there's an authority greater than myself. Please understand something. If you believe in God, there is an authority greater than you. And if you believe that God has revealed himself through the Bible, then the Bible's precepts take precedence over your opinions. The Bible's precepts take precedence over popular culture. In other words, if I'm to adopt a submissive attitude to the Bible, I need to submit to the Bible over my impulses. But Pastor Monty, you know, I I can't help the way I feel. I just have these impulses to do X, Y, and Z. We all sin. You know what's strange today? People don't acknowledge that they sin anymore. They won't call it sin. They'll claim that it's something genetic. They'll use these words, well, God made me that way, so this is why I am the way that I am. It wasn't too long ago when people had the guts, courage, and honesty to admit that sin was a sin, and they had done so knowing that it was a sin. Well, Pastor Monty, you know, I'm, I'm suffering greatly from kleptomania. 
I just steal everything I see. Okay, I know we laugh, right? But, but really, kleptomania is considered a mental disorder, but not considered a sin. Pastor Monty, I, I'm, 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 I am a victim of obesity. Ooh, no you're not. You're a glutton. By the way, I can say that because I've been there. And I still go there sometimes. Ah, you cross the line every once in a while. Every one of us does, okay? So, so quit judgy. Don't be judgy, okay? But the, the truth is, the truth is, I need to call it in my own life what it is. That's being courageous, that's being honest, and that's being truthful. In other words, the Bible is something to which I need to submit. I, I need to submit to the Bible over my fleshly impulses. I need to submit to the Bible over my emotions, and my feelings. Look at me. You should write this down if you write things down. Your emotions are not God. I hope you heard what I just said. Your emotions are not God. Pastor Monty, I just want to be happy. That's one of the most horrific statements you can make. Because in that statement, it assumes that this book isn't the pathway to happiness. And in that statement, it assumes that happiness is the highest good. I need to learn to submit to God's word over my feelings and my emotions. I need to say that my feelings are sometimes wrong, that my emotions are sometimes in error. By the way, why can't we say that? Why do we have to enthrone our own fallibility as justifiable at all times. Here, let me give you an example. How many would say, Pastor Monty, sometimes I'm just in a foul mood? I am. I am. Sometimes I just want to slap people. I am. <laughs> and you are too, okay? You are too. Tweet that out, I don't care. You are too. We all get into foul moods sometimes, but then how many of us, watch this, we get into a better mood and we look back at the foul mood and we're like, I don't know why I was that way. You ever been like that? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what? When you do that, you're saying that that bad mood, it wasn't right. That that emotion wasn't correct. Now, now having said that, having said that, that emotion was real. Because all emotions are produced by chemicals in your brain, period. End of that discussion. It's real, but guess what? It's not always rational. Folks, do you know what I need? Because of the changing of the brain. Do you know what I need? I need a book that never changes. I need a book that's gonna tell me how things are. And then rather than push against it because I don't feel like it sometimes, rather than push against it, I need to recognize it as God's word written for my benefit and I need to submit to it. Number three, I need to submit to the Bible over the culture. I'm not going to harp much on this, but folks, the Bible is true, the culture is false, and the culture is running us into a darkness and ridiculousness that is beyond recognition as even human. And there's nothing scientific about changing people's gender from what's on their birth certificate. There's not a word that's science about that. And all of that is antithetical to Scripture, and it flies in the face of the Bible, and it denies God, and it strikes at the very core of God's creation, and it is an affront to God himself. And as a Christian, as a Christian, 
As a Christian, I reject that based on the authority of the Bible. Oh, Pastor Monica, sounds like you're kind of a Bible thumper. I am. I am. But I'd much rather be a thumper of something that has never changed than to follow something that changes so fast you can't even possibly keep up with it. I want to submit to the Bible over the new philosophies of life. See, the Bible is profitable. It works. My attitude then sometimes, because I am a sinful human being, my attitude needs to be this. I am wrong, but the Bible is right. I make wrong choices, but the Bible is still correct. You see, I need to affirm the Bible's authenticity. If I do so, I will adopt a submissive attitude to the Bible, but then, quickly, I need to apply the Bible to every aspect of life. Just look at the end of verse 16. I'll not belabor it. He says this, The Bible's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What does that mean? Every aspect of my life, I can apply the Bible. For doctrine, doctrine is what I believe, what I teach. It also includes what I don't believe. Doctrine is taking a stand on the truths of Scripture. What is reproof? Reproof is a rebuke for my wrong behavior. And that's okay. Well, Pastor Monty, we've got to be very careful not to reprove anyone today because it might damage their psyche. That whole philosophy is ruining a generation. When we do wrong, we need reproof. By the way, when we talk about reproof and rebuke, it's got to be clear New Testament principles, not just our preferences, but reproof is part of it. Doctrine, reproof, correction. What is the word correction? That word means a restoration of the fallen. That's precisely what it means. Only used here, by the way, in this passage of Scripture in the New Testament. It means to restore someone who's fallen. It means to fix somebody who's broken. Do you know what the Bible does? The Bible takes broken people and fixes them as they submit to it. Do you see this, folks? It's the miracle of the Word of God. We believe in this. Instruction in righteousness means training in right living, how to make good decisions, how to have the right attitude, how to have the right actions, how to frame my life in such a way as to glorify God. Do you know what I hold in my hand? It's not just a volume of ancient stories. It's not just a book that contains a hodgepodge of myths. (laughs) None of those. This is the inspired word of God. This is the instruction manual for living. That's a big manual. How many know that it's big? I was putting together something the other day. I hate it. I hate it when they give you so many extra pieces. (laughs) Nuts, bolts, whole components that don't seem to fit anywhere. This must have been to something else. They threw it in the wrong box. (laughs) You've all been there, right? You don't always get the instructions right, and neither do I, but you never question the fact that God gave them. Am I right about that? You don't question that. And you submit to it because this book is profitable for life. Where are the answers to be found? The answers are found between the covers of this book. So the Bible I hold in my hand, this one right here, I've had this Bible since I was 17 years old. It's on its third leather cover. I'm going to say this once. If you want your Bible rebound, go to Norris Bookbinding in Jackson, Mississippi. Norris Bookbinding, they do a great job. Norris Bookbinding, they've done this one twice, so this is the third cover that this Bible has had. I've read a lot of things in this Bible. But I've never read anything that was wrong. 
I've read a lot of things in this Bible, but I never came across something that if I did it, it would hurt me. I read a lot of things in this Bible, but I never found anything in this Bible that by following it, I would ultimately be miserable. I never have. It's an amazing thing. A book that has at least 40 human penmen, a book that was written on multiple continents, a book that was written over thousands of years of time by people who couldn't email back and forth and compare notes, and a book that has one message and one central message, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is a book that I can trust. And I don't care what the other churches do. I really don't. Now, Pastor Monty, you got to get in step with the culture. <laughs> no. Not interested. You know what I am interested in? Just by the grace of God being in step with this book. Because the book I hold in my hand is the Word of God. Father, thank you for such a plain passage that teaches us the divine origin and nature of Scripture. Father, we would not question it. We would believe it and seek to live it. And Father, I pray that as we think about these things, we recognize that the Bible is not optional if it comes from you. As indeed it does come from you, Lord, it carries the voice of divine authority, and we are under obligation to submit. But Lord, it's a joyful thing, because this book is profitable. This book can take a broken life and can fix it. This book can take a broken heart and can mend it. This book can take tears and dry them. This book can replace sorrow with joy. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll work in every heart. Help us to love our Bible better than we ever have. And Father, for any that do not know Christ, help them today to come to him, the one who is the living word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me, please, everyone standing together.